Raj, you got your Bibles? You ready? I believe I have a word for you this morning. I was having a look at my notes and I realized that I haven't done very much of a study on it. So I did a study on it and um, there was more in it than what I realized. So this morning I have to try and be brief, but at the same time do justice to the subject because I do like to teach the word. And uh, so while doing justice to it and giving you some background, there needs to be an application, but also I need to get to the point. So you're all ready. So look with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I've got it in the New King James, but if we put up the King James on the projection, um, it will be close enough. So Paul says this, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. It's really interesting, and he gives us a list of what the elementary principles of Christ are. You know, and we kind of think that it's quite in-depth. All right, so it's Hebrews chapter 6, 1 and 2. So he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Everybody say perfection. Perfection equals maturity. So let's go on to, on to maturity. Not laying again the foundations or the foundational things of repentance from dead works and of faith in God. Paul tells us those are foundational things, elementary things, you know, for preschool. You know, and there's a lot of Christians that still struggle with those as doctrines. But he goes on to say, repentance from dead works of faith in God. And then he talks about, and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So this morning I said there needs to be a practical application. So probably this morning it's going to be the resurrection of the dead. Unless you say amen and show me that you're alive. Okay. Then it'll be something else. Okay. So it's a foundational truth in Scripture. It's a doctrine, which means that it's put together and it's taught comprehensively throughout the Word. And it's a system or a body of truth. It's the doctrine of the laying on of hands. Isn't it amazing how many churches don't practice the laying on of hands? Isn't it amazing how many Christians don't practice the laying on of hands? You know, as parents, we should be constantly laying hands on our children and blessing them. Amen? We've got enough evidence of it in the Scripture. We live in a physical world, but around us is spiritual realities. Heaven is not a destination. Heaven is not something far up there. Heaven is another realm that's around about us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. His desire was for it to be a unity. So when God created the heavens and the earth, it was one thing. But with Adam's sin, heaven was separated from earth, and that's when that realm became separated from this realm. But God's intention for us is to live heaven while on earth. So heaven is not far away like another planet. Heaven is a reality that is all around us. Is that okay? And so that's why... God gives us things like communion. These are physical things that we can make contact with, but they express a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual truth behind this. Let's call it supernatural realities. Let's call it heavenly truths and heavenly realities. So this has got something behind it. So when Jesus took the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body. So it's not physically his body. This looks like cream crackers. But if we take it by faith, it is his body. Come on, everybody say, it is his body. Because there's a spiritual reality behind this. And God, in his loving care and concern for us, says you are still physically orientated to a physical world. But let me give you something, therefore, that's tangible, physical, that you can make contact with a spiritual reality. And so he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now, it's grape juice, but if by faith we take it, we can drink it and all the benefits of the blood of Jesus is in it. Amen? So a little while ago when I did that ministry for Kevin and Rosemary Sandbrook in Ireland, he reminded me again before we went on. And he said, you remember when we invited that man and he came, an atheist, And that night, I was teaching on Christ is in the communion. And I spoke about the physical 
elements containing spiritual realities. So much so that Paul says, if you discern that it's the body of Christ, you won't be weak, you won't be sick, and you won't die prematurely. Amen. Amen. And so people started to come up, and I said, I'm going to serve you Jesus Christ. And people were coming up, and I said, open your mouth, and I put the bread in their mouths. And when they took the bread in their mouths, the power of God would hit them. They would end up on the floor, out under the power of God. Usher would pick them up, and then I would say, here's his blood. Give them the cup. And they would drink the cup and back down on the floor. And listen, the atheist was one of them. Isn't that awesome? I mean, bang, down he goes, on the floor, under the power of God. What am I doing? I'm serving communion because behind those physical elements, there is a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality if we will take it by faith. And it's the same with dedication of children. It's the same with water baptism. Come on, it's the same. It's exactly the same with the laying on of hands. And that's why it's a doctrine. Is it okay? And so we need to understand that there is a power and a reality, and we need to exercise and put our faith in it. So there's a background to this, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands in the Old Testament didn't always have positive connotations. There was also negative connotations. For example, an Israelite who was heard blaspheming using the Lord's name in vain, those who heard were then to put their hands on him or her, saying, we are identifying you as the one. We are free from the guilt of it. The guilt of that sin is upon you. And then they would withdraw and then stone that person to death. So the laying on of hands, you know, in the Old Testament had negative connotations. It's amazing that God said to Moses, he said, go and speak to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. If he doesn't, I will lay my hand on Egypt. And that's what he did. Listen, when God talks about turning his hand against, you don't want to be on that side. You kind of want to be like David in Psalm 139, where he says, you've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me because his hand was not against, his hand was upon in blessing. Is that okay? And God's hand was against the children of Israel. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah that he turned his hand in Christ and turned it into blessing. Come on, say, God's hand is turned towards me in blessing. Amen. There's a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth behind it. We saw it in ceremonial use. The Levites for their own sins, the Israelites for their own sins, when they brought a sin offering, they were then to, if it was a bull or a goat or whatever it was, they were to put their hand on the head of the animal, signifying there's a transference of my sin and my guilt and my punishment goes onto this animal. And then the animal was sacrificed and took the punishment for the offerer. Is that okay? There's a sense in which when Jesus died on the cross, there was a sense in which our hand was on him because of our guilt. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? And so there's a spiritual reality behind it. And so one of the things that also was done, and I'm just rushing through it, on the great day of atonement, they would take, after the sin offering, they would take two goats. One was sacrificed, and the other became what is called the scapegoat. It's where we get that term in our language, scapegoat, from. And the priest would then lay his hand on the goat, transferring all the guilt and the sin of the people on the goat. And a certain person, a certain priest was selected to take the goat out into the wilderness far away where they would lose their sense of direction and not be able to come back, showing how far God has removed our sin and our guilt from us, called a scapegoat. And there was a sense in which Jesus was also our scapegoat because he said, your sin and unrighteousness, I will remember. Woo! Amen. And so he took it away. He removed it. As far as the east is from the west. But there was another, another, and maybe we, if we get time, we'll do it shortly. And there was another, whenever the priests and the Levites were ordained into ministry. It's interesting. I didn't know this. If I did, it was so long ago that I forgot because I've read those passages. But I got a fresh revelation of it 
basically when priests and Levites were ordained as priests and the Levites were given, God told Moses to bring them before him and all the people of Israel were to come and to lay their hands on the priests and Levites. And then Moses said that they would then become a first fruits offering, a wave offering unto God. So the people were then laying hands on the priests and Levites saying, you are separated to God. But not only that, they were a first fruits wave offering to the Lord, indicating that the time would come when the rest of the harvest would come in. It was a prophetic thing. In other words, indicating there was a time when all God's people would be priests before him. Isn't that good? And so look at the person next to you and say, whether you like it or not, you're a priest unto God. Amen. So there were precedents. There were precedents. And um, one of the things that happened, and we will look at it a bit later, is even right early on in the book of Numbers, God instructs Moses to lay his hand on Joshua, setting him aside as the new leader for Israel. But we'll come on to that. It's when we get into the New Testament that we come into the real meaning of it. In the New Testament, there's not really a negative it's mostly positive. It's not just ceremonial. It's all positive. How many of you know Isaiah 66 verse 1? Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. But how many of you know if heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool, the throne is also touching the earth? It shows in that verse there's no separation between heaven and earth. But heaven then becomes equal to the place of authority. You know, Adam, Adam was and Eve were created. They were in the garden. And, um, you know, it was referred to as paradise. And a lot of people want to know where it is. Where is paradise now? And uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about being caught up into the third heaven or paradise, seeing things. So paradise is equal to heaven. Is everybody with me? Okay. You know, the story in um, Genesis is a spiritual reality, you know, so that we can understand it. Everybody following? I'm just pausing just to let you catch up. All right. Because now I'm going to go quick again. Is that okay? But heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. In other words, heaven is the place of authority. Earth is the place where it needs to be worked out. So that's why Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's God's intention? That what is in heaven is on earth. That his will there is perfectly executed and lived out and done here. Everybody following? Are you all good? And so we need to understand how that works and how that happens. So how does heaven connect with earth? How does the authority manifest? Isaiah 48 verse 13, God says, Indeed, my hand, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, listen to this, they stand together. He said, I'm going to repeat it because some of you missed it. My hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Heaven and earth stands together. They're in agreement. And what brings agreement between heaven and earth? Well, we're going to touch on that now. So let's go very quickly to Acts 4, 27 to 30. In Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 30, you remember, this was after Acts chapter 3, the healing of the layman at the gate, beautiful, and the rulers bring in Peter and John, and they instruct them not to preach in this name anymore, because it's too powerful, and many people were turning to them and to the Lord Jesus and away from the law, and so they release them. They go back, they report back, and then they have a prayer meeting in which they quote Psalm 2. Why do the people rage? The nations conspire, and kings plot and take a stand against the Lord and his anointed one. Remember that? That's recorded in Acts chapter 4. And then listen to what they say from verse 27. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together against him, okay? And to do whatever. Now listen to this. You've got to have a look at this. For to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. I mean, isn't the hand of God powerful? That he said, your hand determined. So your hand, if you read it in the NIV, it says, thy power determined. So in other words, because of his hand and the release of his power, those people acted exactly in accordance of the way they should so that Jesus could go to the cross and be crucified. Okay? And then he says in verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, everyone say boldness, with all boldness they may speak thy word. So number one, how do we release that power on earth from heaven is that we need to speak his word. Is that okay? So maybe, maybe, if you're comfortable with it, to look at someone next to you and say, speak his word, bring heaven to earth. Speak his word. So with great boldness, and he continues, and he says, by stretching forth thine hand. Woo! So this is a really good prayer meeting, isn't it? God, they've told us we're not allowed to speak in this name. But now enable us to speak even more boldly. Because we recognize in this the spirit of the Antichrist. It's anti the Christ. So enable your servants to speak your word more boldly by stretching out your hand. God, would you stretch out your hand to perform what? Three things. To heal and to do signs and wonders by the name of your holy child Jesus. To heal to do signs and wonders. God, would you stretch out your hand? Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you have a look and read Acts chapter 3, when the lame man was healed, God's hand did not appear out of heaven and touch the lame man. If you remember the story, it was the apostle Peter who said, fasten your eyes, fix your eyes on us, look at us. And then said, in the name of Jesus, we don't have silver and gold, be healed. And then he reached out his hand, took him by the hand, and lifted him. And straightway the power of God hit his ankles, and he was healed. Amen. Amen. So how is heaven manifest on earth? When we speak and act the words of God, number one. And number two, when we stretch out our hand... God is acting through us, and in reality, he's stretching out his hand. Okay. Now, I thought you'd be much more excited than that. So, you know, how he's building up to this point, and then it's like, oof. So when we, let's try it again. When we stretch out our hands, and we touch someone, it's actually Christ in, or God, according to this verse, who's reaching out his hand and touching someone. This is how heaven connects with earth. Come on, church. That's a brilliant revelation. You didn't have this sermon. I got it, okay? So, <laughs> so it's amazing. If we would just act and speak, and then we will do what he tells us to do. God responds. Woo! And then things start to happen. I just love it. Because if you have a look just a few verses down in verse 33, it says this, and with great power, with great power, everyone say with great power, not just power, great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, great grace. What was the great grace? The Bible tells us that many Signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Why? Because they prayed and said, God, heaven needs to connect with earth. Because there are some on earth who are rebelling against heaven. So enable us to speak your word more boldly by reaching out your hand on us, touching us. But then we are going to witness to the resurrection. We are going to stretch out our hands. And when we touch somebody, we are connecting them with that realm where your will is done. That realm called heaven. We are earthing. Come on. Remember God said, I create the earth and I create the heavens by my right hand. When I speak, I call them together. Amen. 
So we bring heaven and earth together when we touch someone. Yowza. It's why it's a doctrine of the laying on of hands, church. Amen? There's power in your hands. And so we need to speak and act. When we're coming to the Gospels, we discover Jesus laying hands on people. And uh, this wasn't really that much seen in the Old Testament. It's like a whole new dimension to it. And without going too much into all of the verses, but it, it was so much part of his ministry that even one time, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, and his name was Jairus, and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and she will live. So even the religious people, even those that rejected him, started to realize, man, when this one, when this man puts his hand on you, something happens. So they said, would you come? The story, if you read it, his daughter died, but Jesus went anyway. Got the mourners out of the room, took her by the hand. You don't have to do this, but I mean doing this, just taking by the hand. Same thing. There's that contact. It's the laying on of hands. It's the touch of God. Amen. And raises her from the dead. They realized there was one time when he was coming into the city and at a place called Nain. And out comes a funeral procession. And he has a young man laying on the bier on the, the sort of the, the, the stretcher type thing, the platform. The son of a widow, you know, all her hopes and dreams, her provision, everything is wrapped up in that corpse because he was to look after her. And you're not allowed to touch anybody that's dead because you'd be unclean for a certain amount of time. But the Bible tells us that Jesus walks up and he just touches the wooden structure, whatever it was, the bed thing that they had on their shoulders. He just touches it. And everybody's like, oh, you're unclean. No. Yeah, but you touch something that's dead person, and then the dead person sits up, and he's not dead, he's alive. Amen. Amen. You know, that studies have been shown. There's a guy by the name of Frank Damasio. He wrote a manual on the laying on of hands that's probably three times thicker than my prophetic manual. But he refers to scientific research where they put um, water and stuff in flasks of water, you know, beakers of water, and they get Christians to come and to put their hand on the water. And they look at the composition of the water. And they say there's reaction that takes place when an anointed person puts their hand on the water. Why? It's because of the power that is in you. Amen? And so that's another reason why it's the doctrine of the laying on of hands. So we need to lay hands. Amen? So a few times this happened where they would come and say to Jesus, would you come and lay your hands? But listen to this, Luke chapter 4, verse 40. You'll love this one. This is awesome. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed every one of them. Come on, thank you, Lord. Amen. You know what I always say? Just keep doing it. Let's aim for the maximum. I don't want to lay hands on 10 people and one gets healed. I want to lay hands on 10 people and 10 people get healed. Amen. How many of you feel like that? Yeah. So he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I remember one time, and we had a group of leaders with us, and we were with Pastor Robert in Malumalele, and we went into one of the little villages right outside. There were a lot of... um, a Mozambican refugees there. It was just incredible. A short, simple word we preached, and uh, people came. But I want to tell you, the power, as soon as we started to lay hands on the people, and it was just like that. The sun was setting in this little village. Sun was going down, and we were laying hands on people, and people were getting healed. Demons were coming out. People were getting saved. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I remember one of the elders that was with me said, this reminds me of Luke chapter 4, verse 40. As the sun was setting, they brought many who were sick with fever, and it was exactly like that. Awesome. Amen. So everybody say, I can do that too. One of the things that absolutely blesses me about Jesus was the way that he always had time for everyone. And um, in Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, and there's other references in other Gospels, it says, Then little children were brought to him, 
that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them, the children. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. You know that this verse puts an implication or implies a certain kind of approach or response on the person coming to have hands laid on them. Because the children came with just absolute innocence, purity of heart, faith in Jesus. They saw something. They were attracted to him. They came running to Jesus, you know, probably jumping up on him, climbing up on his lap and sitting there and the disciples shooing them away. And he says, no, no, no. Don't stop them because the kingdom of heaven is like them. It's like this attitude. Come on, if we will come that way to have hands laid on us, maybe more will transpire in us. Amen? You know, when children are sick, they just want mommy or daddy. More often than not, they want mommy. And more often than not, what they want is the cutting. Oh, my darling, is it better? It's amazing. You start touching them and it just, it, you know, it goes away, you know? Or a little kiss, mommy kisses better. Oh, look my toe, You know, and then you kiss it and then it's like, oh, it's much better now. There's a power in touch. Is that okay? There's a power in touch. I remember when Prophet Kerbis was so ill and... Um, I mean, he was completely sealed off. Nobody was allowed in unless you're under lease. And uh, she was inside. And I came to visit. And the, the nurses and the staff, they all said to me, no, 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 you're not allowed in. You're not allowed in there. And she said, oh. she said, push up, man. What do you guys know? She said, you only know medical. You don't know spiritual. She said, this man needs his friend more than he needs medicine. He's going to come in here and he's going to lay hands on him and pray for him. And because you recognized the value, because you were so isolated, the value of that sense of touch, the physical contact. Come on, we impart something. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, when the children came, Jesus blessed them. I would love to know. I would love to know. You know, there is no record. But I would love to know and hear the story of one of those children. I was one of them that day, and the disciples chased us ugly, ugly, horrible disciples. And then Jesus laid his hand on me, and then he prophesied this, and this is exactly what turned out and happened in my life. Isn't that awesome? And uh, the blessing of children. Parents, bless your children. Bless your children. Even if they're grown up and they don't want you to lay hands on them, speak blessing over them. You have a paternal authority that exceeds all of their foolishness. You have a paternal power and authority. You are still the parents. It doesn't matter how much they rebel, how much they've kicked, how much they've pulled away. Because as long as you're here, through you to them can still come blessings. Amen. And you speak blessing over them. It's something, when my kids were little and growing up, I did every night of the week. Every single night. I'd be out ministering, visiting, doing visitation. I'd get home late. My children were asleep. And I would walk in and I would stand in the doorway, reach out my hand towards them so that I wouldn't wake them up. At times, I would go in and actually just lightly put my hand on their heads. And I would just prophesy and speak blessing over them. Every single night until they were many years old. Isn't that awesome? What a privilege. What a power we have. You can influence them remotely by just speaking blessing over them. Father, I bless them. For all that rebellion, I just bless them. They're building a testimony that's going to be awesome. I speak blessing over them. Father, I instill good in them. I instill the word in them. And I recall the power of the word of God. I recall the power of good. And Lord, let it just start coming up to the surface. Let that planted seed start to sprout in Jesus' name and start to call them back. Is that okay? But while they're little, lay hands on them continuously. Lay hands on them. Keep blessing of them. Prophesy over them. I remember when we first had Prophet Ed Trout here, and uh, he didn't even know our children. Even now, you know, prophesy over the baby. Put your hand and just speak, prophesy, bless the baby. But I remember Ed Trout was here in the church, and he started to prophesy over our three children, and he didn't even know we had children, number one. Number two, he didn't know how many. And number three, he didn't know that we had two boys and one girl, but he told us. 
And he prophesied over my oldest son, prophesied over the middle son, prophesied over my daughter. And then uh, we finished the service. We were staying in what is the office block now. That's where we stayed. When the service was over, you know, he came straight in. We had something to eat. He went to bed. And when he got up in the morning, we were sitting in the kitchen area. And the three kids were there. And Amy was sitting on her little school suitcase ready to go to school. And he said, ah, here's the little girl with the blonde hair and the blue eyes and that can sing like an angel and will play the piano. And I turned and looked at him and I just said, how did you know that? That's exactly what I used to stand in a doorway and prophesy over. He said, I'm responding prophetically to what you spoke over her. Come on, say, I can bless my children. Say, even now I can bless. Amen. You've got authority. And uh, we see it in the story of Genesis when Joseph brought his two sons to Israel to bless them, Ephraim and Manasseh. And it's really incredible, but he put them in age order and he aimed them towards Israel. And uh, the right hand is an indication of the stronger hand, so the greater blessing. That's why it talks about the right hand of God. So he aimed the two children towards them, Ephraim towards his right hand and uh, Manasseh towards the left hand. But, you know, Israel was kind of, his eyesight was failing. But what he did prophetically is he switched over his hands. And he put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the older. And Joseph came to him and said, no, father, it's the wrong way around. And wanted to uncross his hands and put it back. And he said, Ephraim's the oldest. And he said, I know my son, just leave it like this. And then he prophesied of him. And it says, you can read it in Genesis. It says, that by so doing, he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Woo! Come on, the power of blessing. You can put someone ahead in life. Am I giving you something or is it just, you know, this, you know, like this stuff makes me excited. I'm getting gooseys just preaching about it, you know? Power of blessing is amazing. What you can do. So, of course, we see it with the apostles in the apostolic era. I mean, for example, Ananias, you know, the Apostle Paul has that Damascus Road meeting. He's struck blind. He goes into the city, and God says to him, I've told someone to come and pray for you. He tells Ananias, go and pray for Paul. Ananias said, get behind me, Satan. You know who that man is. But he responded. He, he didn't say that really. I'm just, you know. But he did say, do you know who this man is? <laughs> you want me to go and pray for? You know, the guy that's persecuting and killing the church, you know? And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Woo! I mean, he just confirmed his salvation. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight. Not only the physical eyesight, but something happened on the inside and he got spiritual sight. That's why he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. And he actually says, this is part of my ministry, twice in the book of Acts. He says, to open the eyes of the blind. I tell you, isn't it amazing that through the laying on of hands, someone's eyesight can be open to spiritual realities. So he lays his hands on him, and he says that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, you know, it's really incredible how the apostle Paul started to lay hands. And um, it says here about Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. They stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay, what do you say? Signs and wonders done by my hands. Okay. Later it says in Acts 19 that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. When they were wrecked on the island of Malta, Acts 28.8, the father of Publius, you know, a local official and a wealthy man, was sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him, prayed, laid his hands on him, and healed him. Isn't this awesome? So it's really powerful how it filtered through. It filtered through Jesus. It filtered through the apostles. And then when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he says in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, he says, All authority, all, not some, all authority has been given to me in heaven, in heaven, in heaven. Where is the place of authority and power? Heaven. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And in the process of saying, go and do it, what he was saying, you will connect with the authority of heaven and you'll manifest it on earth. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, he tells them the same thing. He says, go, preach the gospel, make disciples. He says, you know, in my name, you will cast out demons, you will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know, that is something for every single, every single believer. Is that okay? I mean, every believer, every one of us can just lay our hands in obedience to Jesus and say, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try it. I remember the one time we went up to Gazankulu and we took a 36 man and woman team with us. And there were some brand, brand new believers. I mean, they were just weeks old in the Lord. I mean, and we taught them a lot of this stuff here in sessions before we prayed. And then I just taught them, you know, how to lay hands on the sick and pray for people and just you know, don't ask them what's wrong. Just say, where's the pain? You know, because if they start to go, well, it's this and it's this and it's this and it's this, you find your faith starts to seep out through your toes. You just say, where are you hurting? Yeah. You know, they haven't dented your faith because you don't know it's terminal cancer or something like that. This is where's hurting? Yeah, it's hurting. Yeah. And I remember standing on the platform that evening when the angels came in like in a wind. And um, I was standing there and I was watching one girl. She might, she, I think she was three months old in Jesus. No church background. Completely godless background. Three months old in the Lord. And I see her. We ran out of interpreters because there were so many people coming forward. You know, typical of us white people, you know, when you speak to someone of another language and they don't understand, you think if you speak louder... And, you know, you put space in between your words, somehow they'll understand. Because she's now, I'm watching her. I'm standing on the stage. I'm watching her. And she's saying, where does it hurt? And this lady's going, in Shangon, you know. And then she says, where does it hurt? I'm looking. I'm thinking, doesn't matter how you say it. She doesn't understand. So I'm looking around for interpreter. So I see her do this. Oh, well, I don't know where it hurts. And I see that because I'm still looking for interpreter. she goes, oh, well. And she lays her hands on this lady. The power of God hits this lady. She falls. She hits the ground. And she's completely healed. Demons come out of her. And I remember her looking like this. She bursts into tears. And then she puts her hands like this. And she's looking at her hands. Because she couldn't believe that God used her hands. In simple obedience, we connect heaven to earth. Come on, when we speak his word, when we do it, we call heaven and earth together. Wow. Ah, this is so awesome. And so it was something absolutely new in the New Testament that started to happen. Laying hands on the sick, they're recovering, blessing children and speaking over them, received a new definition in the New Testament. Here's something that was completely new in the New Testament. Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8, 8 verses 17 to 19. Philip was one of those that was brought before the apostles as deacons to help administer and to hand out food to the poor and to the widows. And so they were chosen because they were full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. But anyway, the power of God falls. Philip goes to Samaria later when the persecution hits the church. He's one of those that goes. He goes into Samaria, starts preaching the gospel. Great power, signs and wonders, miracles start happening. There's a witch doctor there that they call the great power of God. His name is Simon. He's a sorcerer. And he operates in this power. And uh, he's got everybody's attention. Everybody's wowed by this guy because he's the great power of God. These counterfeit signs, wonders, and all of these kinds of things. Philip is preaching. God does incredible things. And they realize now all these people have become born again. Philip was so young in the Lord, he didn't even know he could lay hands on them and and see them receive the Holy Spirit. So he sends to Jerusalem for the apostles. The apostles come and go like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is like a revival. Right now, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? No, this is the Holy Spirit. Right now, come, we'll lay hands on you. We'll lay hands on you and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So they start laying hands on these new believers and all these new believers start, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. And yet Simon the sorcerer looking at all of this and he sees this. Verse 17, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Isn't it amazing that Simon the sorcerer, this great power of God, this witch doctor looks and he immediately recognizes that what these ordinary believers have got is much more powerful than what he's got. 
immediately looks at it. But he also recognizes the incredible power and authority in the apostles. So look what it says in verse 18. And in verse 18 it says this. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. That's where we get this thing called the sin of simony, which means to try and buy something with money. Verse 19. And it says this saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Why was judgment pronounced on him? Because he tried to buy it. Listen, church. That which Simon tried to buy with money and he was cursed for it, you get for free because you're a believer and because you're serving God. Wow. So this answers the question. So how do I get it? Will you get it for free? Let's go back to verse 18. Verse 18, look at this. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. Everybody say it's gift. It's given. Amen. So it means then that you and I can put our hands on someone and we can give them the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? But that what is inside of you, you can pass on to them. Okay, but how do I get it? Do I have to buy it? No, because in verse 19, he says, give me also. Give me. Give it to me. In other words, it can be given. In other words, what these verses are telling us, that the Spirit is telling us, is that we can impart and we can transfer to others through the laying on of hands. Yowza. So what you've got inside of you, that's what Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give we unto thee. Amen. So he spoke the word, took him by the hand, and that which was on the inside of Peter, through the hands, through the power of touch, right into him, right onto his ankles, they pop in with strength, and he says, right now, stand up. Wow. Come on, it's all in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, we all know this. But the reason why I felt to preach this was because I just felt like preaching it. Okay. No, but the reason why I felt like preaching it was because we need to recover a point of power and a means of connecting heaven with earth and get a fresh understanding out of it and continue to do it. Amen? That when we touch someone, they receive something. We impart something to them. When we speak over and touch our children, they are blessed and their future is mapped out for them according to what we speak and what we've laid our hands on. Hallelujah. And so the Holy Spirit can be given, which tells me that there's a measure of the fact that we can impart something of the anointing, something of stirring up something inside of you. Is that okay? Now, the last one that I want to touch on, and it says this in Numbers 27, verses 18 to 23. And it was a pattern that was set for the New Testament way back in the Old Testament under Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun. I like what Prophet Quibus always used to say. It means that he didn't have a mother and a father. <laughs> Not N-O-N-E, it's N-U-N, okay? The son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Moses, get hold of Joshua. He's got the Spirit in him, but lay your hands on him. Well, why do I need to lay my hands on him if he's got the Spirit? Because he needs something more. So Moses lays his hands on him in front of the congregation and sets him before Eliezer the priest and the congregation lays his hands on him. Now I want you to look at this. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9. It says this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, he still didn't have parents, but he still did have the Spirit, okay? Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Come on, can you all just give me an amen? amen. In other words, he was full of the spirit, but he lacked something for leadership, and that was wisdom. And now it tells us in Deuteronomy that he was full of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. In other words, something that he didn't have was supernaturally imparted to him through the means of touch, through the means of laying out of hands. Listen, church, there's been many times in my life, many, many times, 
when people under the direction of the Holy Spirit have laid hands on me and something has dramatically changed, supernaturally changed inside of me. The day that Pastor Tinney threw his jacket on me, laid hands on me, something changed in my entire spirit and we started to see miracles and signs and wonders happening. Why? Because a man of God laid his hands on me. He gave me something that I did not have prior to that. My whole spiritual life flip-flopped and changed. Power came inside of me. First time I met Prophet Quibus was after I'd had the stroke and I thought, you know, this is it. It's the end of the ministry. And because of Helen and Auntie Rosie going through and listening to Prophet Quibus, they said, you need to go. And I remember going there and here I was. I was in a mess physically, mentally, psychologically, in every way. Emotionally, I was a wreck. I just thought it's the end of the ministry and they had a miracle pool and I walked through and he touched me and he laid hands on me. I fell under the power in the, the walk through miracle pool and something of the power of God came over me that when I walked through and I stood up, I realized I'm going to go back and minister. Amen. I'm going to go back and preach. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be well. Yeah. Amen. And something was imparted to me through the laying on of hands. Come on, you might be tired physically. You might be a little bit discouraged, maybe a bit disillusioned. Maybe your vision has gone down for your life or whatever it is. But through the power of the laying on of hands, something can be transformed in your spirit. You might have got a, a job or a promotion and be feeling like, I don't feel qualified for this. And in the laying on of hands, God can impart to you wisdom that you need or for a business deal, or for a project, or for anything. God can impart wisdom to you through the laying on of hands. It's incredible what the laying on of hands does because it imparts God to you. You know, one of the things that Andre looked at with the word bless, to bless, what does it mean? And it's in particular with blessing and the laying on of hands. And to bless means to take someone and place them under the hand of God. So you lay hands on someone and bless them. What you're doing in the spirit is you're taking them and you're placing them under the hand of God through your hand. You're connecting heaven and earth. You're calling heaven and earth to stand together with that person. I often say speaking blessing and laying on of hands is to associate that person with everything that is in the kingdom that God wants them to have. They can get the full justice of the cross just through the laying on of hands. Amen. Wow. I remember I was preaching in this little town in England, and uh, there was this lady. She always used to come to the meeting. She brought her children through, and um, I'd prophesied over the children and, and, and whatever. She'd experienced great breakthrough in her life. As a result, her husband started to come to the meetings when I was there every year. Tiny little town in Aylesbury in England, and um, he got on fire for the Lord. And then one day, I was there. I ministered, and when I finished ministering, I was uh, standing there, and she brought another lady forward, and she said, this is my sister. Please, will you just lay your hands on her and pray for her? I said, sure. And um, I just put my hand on her head, kept my eyes open, and I started praying. And she did uh, like a super-duper grill. She was like, <laughs> and she went like this. And when she opened her eyes, her eyes were rolling still. Her eyes were still rolling, and she was like, yo, what was that? And her sister now was going, see, I told you. I told you, if he lays hands on you, something's going to happen. See, I told you. And I know for a fact that she got delivered. I mean, I just saw the thing leave. And she just went, Vroom. and when she opened up, it was still going, what's the funniest thing? Listen, when you touch somebody, man, if there's anybody, I remember I was in a place and, and there was this powerful man of God there. And this, this believer, this Christian goes up and says, man of God, I, I don't know if I need deliverance, if I've got demons in me. He says, oh, let's find out. And this man of God just puts his hand on his chest for a few minutes, looks at him and takes it. He says, no, you don't. He says, how do you know? He says, no, if <laughs> they would have screamed if, you know. Yeah. And um, so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I laid my hands on you and I prophesied to you. And the gift that is in you is as a direct result of the prophetic word and the laying on of my hands. And he said, but you've let fear intimidate you. Now stir and fan into flame that gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's amazing. And yet Timothy becomes the pastor of the church in Ephesus. 
Who else did Paul lay his hands on? Many, I'm sure, that are not all recorded in Scripture. But when he laid his hands on him, something was imparted to him, like Moses did with Joshua. And something of leadership and wisdom and the pastoral gift was imparted into him so that he could become the pastor of the local church in Ephesus. Come on, church. We need to reclaim this incredible, I don't know, it is a gift, but this incredible thing, practical, physical thing that God has given us, like communion, like dedication, like water baptism, where there's a physical thing that expresses a spiritual and heavenly reality. Amen? When we can put our hands on someone and where there's a transfer of all of the authority of heaven through our spirit into them, and they can receive whatever it is that they need to receive. Whether it just be a spoken word of blessing that's pretty general, or a specific word bringing healing, or a specific word for wisdom, for promotion, or for your job, or whatever it is, but that there is this transfer, there's this thing that happens where God is actually touching you with His powerful right hand. Amen? And often we do it because we do it with our right hand. If we right hand dominant, it doesn't matter whichever way. But Habakkuk tells us that he sees God coming from Teman. He sees him with his hand outstretched. And he said it's like lightning is flashing out of his hand. But also in his hand, he's got the seven horns of oil. That's in the book of Revelation. In other words, he's got seven horns in his hands. In other words, seven horns that are full of oil, which speaks of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The seventh Holy Spirit is what Jesus has got in his hand. In other words, he has the fullness of the Spirit to give you. Habakkuk says, in his hand, where is the hiding place of his power? Church, if we do it, understanding who we are, what we represent, what's behind us, what's in us, And under his direction, when we lay hands, that fullness of the Spirit can be imparted. And so whatever the need, God can fulfill it. Amen.